the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There's never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. We really appreciate their sponsorship. If you like this podcast, please check them out. Give them a call. Get some advice. Just talk to them. Maybe gold and silver belong in your retirement as well. They're the only ones I will talk to about gold and silver. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Coming up, Dinesh D'Souza. Now, he has made several documentaries, and most of them are politically charged, and they've gotten really good reviews, but very mixed reviews as well in terms of were they accurate? 2000 Mules is one that has garnered a lot of attention. Even Attorney General Bill Barr had some questions about it. And Reuters said it, it doesn't provide any concrete verifiable evidence of widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election. Well, D'Souza has followed up the film with a book, 2000 Mules, the book. Why did he think a book was a necessary follow-up to the film? What is it going to tell us differently, if anything, than the film did? And how does Dinesh respond to these questions, these allegations that this doesn't prove any voter fraud? I'm going to ask Dinesh when we come back. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the College Football and Basketball National Championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. As promised, Dinesh D'Souza, author, documentarian, you are so accomplished, Dinesh. You've done so much in such a short amount of time. Do you have any kind of social life? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I do. I uh, I find a way to combine things. And um, I've got a really good film team. We're a small team, about six or seven of us. And sometimes we work with local production companies on shoots and things. So even though I get a lot of credit on the face of the films, there are other people who play a key role in all the aspects of the film. Of course. And the books I write pretty much single-handedly, and I've been doing that. My first book came out in 1991. I'm now up to number 17 or 18. So that's really been my anchor through the years. Uh, I've been doing films for about 10 years, and yeah. uh, 2000 Meals is um, number six. Yes, it's it's remarkable. It's you are um, you are, like I said, extremely hardworking. And you've just now 2000 Mules, the book, the compliment to the film, the documentary was met with a lot of scrutiny. As you well know, you've answered a lot of questions. How does the book now 
complete the picture or you, you mentioned to me, it's a compliment to the, to the film. How do you want people to, to look at the two together? Well, I think this is a case where you kind of need both. Um, this is not perhaps true of all my other work. You can, you can watch the movie Hillary's America and you'll get a lot out of it. Now there is more detail in the book. But in this case, there's stuff in the movie that you can't put in a book. For example, there is surveillance video showing you mules jumping out of a car, looking left and right to make sure no one's watching them, uh, unhooking a, a backpack full of ballots, wearing gloves. You kind of have to see that all for yourself. I have photos in the book, but it's not the same as watching the actual. This is the official surveillance video of the states themselves. But... Um, Normally, I, I put the book and the film out at the same time, but the advantage of this book coming out some months after the film is I've been able to step back, take stock of all the criticism and the debunking, Bill Barr, Liz Cheney, and, and have a systematic rebuttal and answer to the critics in the book. So that you obviously can't get in the film. And I also have a, a chapter toward the end, at the end, that discusses reform in some detail. That kind of stuff doesn't work in a film. It's kind of like if you watch the Shawshank Redemption, you don't really want to have a panel discussion of prison reform at the end. <laughs> it kind of spoils the movie. So films end on a kind of high emotional note. But in a book, the kind of, so now what? What can uh, attorneys general do? What can secretaries of state do? What can legislators do? What can you do? All of that is in the book. Okay, that's interesting. And I want to get to that a little bit later. But you, you mentioned the debunking of the film and how you rebut that in the book. I, I read a Reuters verdict. Reuters wrote, the documentary 2000 Mules does not provide any concrete, verifiable evidence of widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election. Technology and election integrity experts consulted by Reuters also did not find the geolocation, surveillance, surveillance, or any other information presented showed plausible evidence of fraud. What did you make of that debunking and how do you answer it? Well, the debunking is typically um, effective if you haven't seen the film. And uh, if you go through these debunkings, they all follow a very similar track. Uh, the first thing that they do is they, quote, consult experts. Uh, and the experts will say things like geo-tracking is not very effective or precise. It can't pinpoint a, a mule or anyone at a specific location. It can't distinguish between people who drive by or walk by a Dropbox versus someone going to a Dropbox now, uh, this is just false. Uh, I'm, I don't really know how any so-called expert can say this. In some cases, I've noticed that experts have referenced articles that are 10 years or more old. And you might remember GPS, for example, 10 years ago was not what it is today. It couldn't tell you be in the second lane from the left and turn left at the light. Right. So technology advances. Today, you can absolutely a place, an individual at a location and tell clearly if they are going by it or to it. So in other words, you can, it's almost like watching a dot on a graph. A moving dot is not the same as a stationary dot. And so if someone's going, let's say from a car to a Dropbox, they stop at the Dropbox, they go back to their car, they go to the next Dropbox, that can easily be tracked by cell phone uh, data. In fact, it's done all the time. The CDC does it. 
uh, law enforcement does it, the FBI does it, the CIA does it, the Defense Department uses this for targeting. So it's it's amazing that this is accepted in every other walk of life. And yet when you come to ballot trafficking, it's like suddenly the technology becomes unbelievably unreliable. That doesn't really make any sense. Well, why do you suppose they do that? They, they do being that the debunkers, why do you suppose they they are willing to accept it in all of those other fields you mentioned, but not in the case of 2000 Mules? Well, the answer is really simple. I mean, think about it. They're not accepting cell phone geotracking, which is like a digital fingerprint. Now, um, our cell phones all have a distinctive ID. It's not the cell phone number. It's an ID inside your phone. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you can give your phone to your spouse. I mean, I can give my phone to Debbie. Maybe she was at the Dropbox, but that my phone was at that location is, is about as good as me leaving some blood evidence on the scene now or a fingerprint. Uh, the other evidence we use in the movie is surveillance video. Now, there's not a single person who has said that's not the surveillance video of the states. We have four million minutes of it. The states have it themselves. So some people who say to me, Dinesh, why haven't you turned over your Georgia video to Secretary of State Raffensperger? Is I'm like, I don't have to turn it over to him. He has it. He took it. It's his video. It's just that he was too lazy to look at it. And, and, and Bill Barr was too lazy to look at it. And nobody looked at it. So when we revealed this video in the film, no one had seen that footage before. So think about it. You've got two types of evidence, cell phone geotracking and video, both of which are unanswerable. And so the reason that these experts and these fact checkers go berserk is they are trying to protect a dogma that makes no sense on its own, but certainly makes no sense when you've seen the movie. And what's the dogma? This was the most secure election in history. So they're, they're committed as a starting point to the proposition that this was the best election. Now, long before 2000 Mules, you think you could say to them, okay, guys, if you claim that something is the best of anything, you would be expected to produce some sort of a comparison between the volume of fraud in 2020 compared to other elections and certainly previous elections to show that in 2020 there was the least. But not only has this demonstration never been made, as far as I know, no one has even attempted it. So from the beginning, this was a an unsupported uh, claim with not one iota of proof. And then along comes 2000 mules and like blows it out of the water. So this is why the fact checks have had a difficult job. Uh, and most of them are in a way brazenly dishonest, by which I mean, they work if you haven't seen the movie. If you've seen the movie, the fact check is like ridiculous. So in uh, other words, me... if you if you have two people sitting here, myself and my best friend, and she has seen the film and I have not, uh, she would, and I read these, you know, I try to debunk the film. It's much easier for me to do so than for someone who's laid eyes on the entire documentary. Is that what you're saying? Yes, and there, uh, and I have a couple of ways of proving it. One is that the the movie, which has been seen according to the Rasmussen survey by about 20 million people, and by the way, a substantial chunk of those people are independents and Democrats. But even so, with hundreds of reviews, the film has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Think about that, 100%. Pretty much everyone who sees the film is persuaded. Now let's turn to the fact checks for a second. If you look at Ali Swenson's fact check, this is AP, probably the most influential of all the fact checks because it goes to all the other media. Yeah, AP says, Associated Press for right. those. Ali Swenson says in that fact check that Dinesh claims that the mules are wearing gloves 
But she says it was very cold in Georgia in 2021 during the runoffs. Now, anyone who sees the film knows that the mules are not wearing leather gloves or woolen gloves. They're not trying to protect themselves against the cold. They're wearing latex gloves. And as soon as they put the ballots into the box, they take the latex gloves off and throw them into the trash can. So what kind of nonsense is this to imply that somehow there's a very good explanation for the mules wearing gloves, namely the Georgia winter? Ali Swenson goes on to say, Dinesh says that the mules are taking photos at the drop boxes because they want to get paid. But Ali Swenson says this is a perfectly reasonable explanation. Lots of people were very proud of having voted. They like to post uh, images on social media of them voting. And yet again, if you watch the film, there's not a single mule that takes a selfie with an I voted sticker. In every case, they're taking photos of the ballots going in the box or the box itself. So my claim, which is that they're creating a receipt that they can submit to get paid, is the only plausible explanation of what you actually see. And the notion that people are posting videos or, or photos on social media makes no sense if you've seen the movie. So, well, I, you know, I could go on in this vein, yeah. but the fact checks are just brazenly dishonest because they, they, they rely on the gullibility of people who haven't seen the movie. Well, I will say that the fact checks that you just mentioned, for instance, people taking selfies, that doesn't disprove. Maybe someone did take a selfie of themselves voting. That doesn't disprove that you may have video of people taking videos or photos. In other words, her claim that, oh, this is just people taking selfies. Sure, people do that. But does she actually disprove that the people in the film were doing that? I don't think she does that. And again, with the, with the gloves, same thing. Yeah, maybe it was cold. I, look, I live in Minnesota. I know cold. Uh, if I'm going to mail something, I don't necessarily wear, wear gloves. I just drop it in the mail and leave. But either way, it doesn't necessarily disprove what you've said. Yeah, some people may have had gloves on when they voted, but that doesn't necessarily disprove your your allegation. So it's it's an interesting way of critiquing or debunking a film by just theorizing what right. may have happened rather than actually disproving what you've demonstrated. Do you feel as though the people uh, like AP and Reuters uh, watched the film or did they, I mean, did these people actually screen it or did they just look for people to debunk it without looking at it? Well, you know, the... The typical fact checker is not knowledgeable about these types of issues at all. You've got somebody who's typically a 20 or 30 something. They're, uh, they're out of law school. They went to journalism school and their knowledge of geo tracking is zero. Their knowledge of election law is poor. And so they will make, as you say, general assertions. So, for example, a common theme in the fact checks, you'll find it in almost every one of them. And in sometimes experts are reciting this. And again, what they're saying is not untrue, but it makes it, it does not actually refute anything in the movie. So they'll say, for example, in Georgia, it is legal for someone to return the ballots of their family members. That's true. Um, uh, while ballot harvesting in general is prohibited in Georgia, you are allowed to return the ballots of family members. And moreover, if you're in a confined care facility, you can give your ballot to a caregiver. No problem. But we say clearly in the film that what we call a mule 
is somebody who has gone to 10 or more drop boxes. And let's be really clear, we're not talking about the mailbox because someone could say hypothetically, well, I mailed my mortgage on Monday and my utilities on Tuesday and I wrote my mom on Wednesday, but these mail-in ballot drop boxes are only for ballots. So you have no reason to go to many. Maybe you took some family member ballots and went to one and you had a few the next day and you went to a second, but 10 or more. So who can give a plausible explanation for why someone would go to 10 or more drop boxes? I have never heard a single explanation. But what happens in the fact checks is they act like just pointing out that in Georgia, you can return the ballots to your family members is some kind of knockdown refutation of our film and nothing could be further from the truth. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. It's really interesting. Someone whom I've paid a lot of attention to is a name that you mentioned earlier, and that is Bill Barr, the former attorney general of the United States. He had two stints, most recently under Donald Trump. And I felt like I feel like every time I listen to an interview with Bill Barr, he's pretty honest because he will he will criticize and praise the same person in the same interview. He seems to me to be a a pretty reasonable straight shooter. And he felt in when he talked about 2000 Mules, the, the film, that the photographic evidence was lacking. He said that the film did not prove what it set out to prove. Where did he go wrong or not see what you meant for viewers to see? Well, let me say that I actually shared that view of Bill Barr. And um, and uh, I believed him when he said initially, right after the election, hey, we've investigated voter fraud. We have not found sufficient fraud to overturn or to produce a different outcome in the election. Now, his comments about 2000 Mules surprised me on two fronts. The first is before he went to the photographic evidence, he talked about the geo tracking and he made the point that in a city like Atlanta, this is his example. He goes, you've got a lot of action going on. In other words, you've got cars, you've got Uber drivers, you've got joggers, walkers. He goes, he goes, how can you actually identify these mules at these specific drop boxes? How can you place them there? And uh, he was implying that this is actually an impossible enterprise. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, if somebody on the street said that to me, I would understand because it does seem odd. Uh, if you don't know anything about geo tracking, it seems odd that you could actually do this uh, in a busy city. But I say to myself, Bill Barr is, has been the head of the DOJ. The Department of Justice does exactly what he's talking about every single day. 
Um, and there's innumerable examples of how precise this geo-tracking is. The FBI recently caught up with Mike Lindell. He was going through the drive-through at Hardee's. That's where they intercepted him. How did they know he was there? They were tracking his phone. So in other words, look at the January 6th charging documents. Mr. X was approximately 30 feet outside the front door. Mr. Y was 20 feet inside the front door. So within a few feet, the geo-tracking is extremely precise. And you have to remember that what Greg and Catherine did through the vote is they built a pattern of life around these mules. It's not just a matter of, hey, you know what? I found uh, Michelle's uh, um, cell phone within the vicinity of a Dropbox. She's a mule. No, you have to work back. Where did the cell phone come from? In other words, where did this mule get the balance? So if you are going by left-wing nonprofits, collecting a backpack, and then going on a route from one Dropbox to another, to another, to another, and you exceed 10, only then are you counted as a mule. So that's my answer to the geo-tracking part of what Bill Barr was saying. Now we turn to the, the video evidence, mm -hmm. and, and Bill Barr makes a reasonable point. He goes, he goes, the film has not shown me the same mule at multiple Dropboxes. And my answer to him is that the vast, vast majority uh, of these Dropboxes do not follow the election rules and have electronic surveillance. It's kind of like if a serial killer goes to 10 homes and you can tell by his cell phone that he was there and there are dead bodies in all those 10 homes, but only one of the 10 homes had a video camera and, and you happen to know from his cell phone, he got to that house on Tuesday morning, let's say at 1 a.m. You, on on, you look on the video, Boom, there he is. So in the one case where there is video, it completely supports the geo-tracking. Now, of course, Bill Barr comes along and says, why don't I have video in all the other places? My answer is there were no cameras. If there were, I should be able to show you that mule. So my contention is that even in Fulton County, Georgia, where we have most of our video evidence from, the amount, the, the proportion of the drop boxes that have video is about one in 10. So it's no surprise, given the paucity, the shortage of video evidence, that I can't show you the same mule again and again and again. It's not my fault. It's the fault of the state of Georgia. This is so fascinating to me. And I, I, I will go back to something that you referenced, that so many people have said, declared, declared in the most firm of voices, this was the safest, most, you know, perfect election in the history of the United States. I don't know how they came up with that conclusion so quickly and with very little comparison. I, that I, I'm not, I'm not here to say because I, I'm, I'm just not going to say the election was stolen or anything like that, but I am going to say, I'm not sure how you can declare that this was the safest, cleanest election of all time. I, I, I haven't seen proof of that. I want to come back with you, Dinesh, quick break, and we'll talk about the other part of the book that you said was so important, and that is where do we go from here? What can we do to make sure we do have safe elections? Dinesh D'Souza is our guest. 2,000 Mules is the book that followed up the film right back after this. Money is a... It's a hot topic for so many reasons. The first thing I think of is gas prices. When you go and you fill up your tank and you realize it's costing you about double what it used to, it's astonishing. And it's, I don't think it's sustainable. How, how do we continue with this? And then there's the grocery store and you realize that your bill is much bigger than it used to be on average. So what do you do? 
Well, you budget, and then you also have to think about the long term. Your your money's how it's going to accumulate for your wealth and your retirement in the long run. And there's a good long-term play, and that is precious metals. And when I'm investing in gold and silver, I talk to one place and one place only, and that's Legacy Precious Metals. And I encourage you to talk to them too. Remember 2008? That was a bad moment, economically speaking, for this country as well. And those who invested in gold saw huge gains and others simply lost their retirements. So call Legacy Precious Metals now and see how you can protect your wealth and retirement. Give them a call at 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903. Speak to one of their IRA experts. Just ask the questions. How do I start? How much money do I need to start with? All the basics, they're there to answer your questions. They've also got a free investor's guide at their website, LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Okay, Dinesh, one of the things that you wanted to accomplish in the book was to make it clear, you know, how we could improve our elections and fairness and security in the future. So where do we start? Well, I think the ideal, the best way is to have election day and people show up in person, they vote, uh, they vote with a paper ballot and uh, you can have a machine count, of course, of the ballots, but you always have the backup. If there's a dispute about the machines, count the paper ballots, you already have them. And uh, of course, there are exceptions, military families, people who are sick, there are absentee ballots. That's a tradition that goes back more than a century. Mm -hmm. uh, soldiers voted by absentee ballot in the Civil War. So I'm not against the, the principle of absentee ballots, but it, it is a known fact for people who watch elections that the absentee or mail-in ballots is the most common form of fraud. This is partly why uh, the claim that this is the most secure election history is on the face of it preposterous because the absentee ballots, which historically have been a small part, a tiny portion of the overall election, suddenly become a huge part in 2020 because of COVID. Now, why is the absentee ballot so insecure? Because no one's watching, right? If I go in to vote in person, I'm being watched. They give me a ballot. I got to vote right then and there. I can't say to the people around there, hey, guys, listen, let me take my ballot with me. I'm going to go run some errands and my brother will bring it back filled out. They'll be like, no, you can't do that. So in other words, the observation creates a transparency that's critical to the process. With a mail-in ballot, you have no idea. It goes out there. It comes back in an envelope. Who knows who signed it? Who knows who filled it out? There's not a, a kind of a an equivalent way of checking. And this is why the fraud generally occurs in those types of ballots. Now, um, I recognize, of course, that in reality, uh, individual states make their own rules for elections. And so much as I might like to see kind of a one election day, there are going to be mail-in ballots, there are going to be drop boxes. And when that's the case, uh, I say, it's imperative to have 24 hour surveillance of those drop boxes. I mean, we live at a time when, you know, every mall, every parking lot, every store, there's no reason not to put eyes on our elections. And the only people who have to fear, you know, um, surveillance is going to intimidate people. No, it isn't. Not unless you're trying to do something illegal. Yeah, I tend to agree with that as well. I mean, it, it, if surveillance is sort of innocuous, whether it's someone there or a camera or whatever it is, I, that's not going to, I don't understand why that would be intimidating for anyone. Well, whereas when you go into the voting booth, you're surrounded by people. 
And so, you know, I, yeah, I also don't understand, Dinesh, why now, again, it's state to state, but some states have a 50 day voting period, which seems to me, it, not only is it so vast and, and, and there's, there's opportunity for corruption there, but you could vote on that first opening day of voting and change your mind 20 days later and you're stuck. I don't know why that opportunity would even exist. I don't know why we don't have maybe a two-day voting period and make it a national holiday, whatever. Make it accessible for people. Well, I mean, um, to reinforce your point, uh, the uh, the Fetterman campaign uh, said that the reason that they kept delaying the debate with Oz was because they were actually hopeful that lots of people would do early voting. So think about what they're saying. What they're basically saying is we want people to make a decision before they've had a chance to observe our candidate because we know our candidate is impaired. He's probably going to do a horrible job. So what we do is we procrastinate to the last minute. And then if all kinds of people who voted for Fetterman have buyer's remorse and they go, we didn't really mean to wait a minute. We had no idea this guy was had no, you know, was so clueless. Too late. You've already voted and you can't take it back. So this is the way, this is a small example of a way in which the kind of elongated voting process can be manipulated in this case by one of the two campaigns. Yeah, it just, it, it, that's what it felt like. That's sure what it felt like. And we have seen a lot of early voting. So I'm unclear on that. But again, states have their rights to do what they want to do. So surveillance at these drop boxes, you suggest. And, and are you, in favor of just a single voting day? Do you think that's possible with the massive population that we have of voters in this country? I mean, certainly the population has grown since the founding, since the establishment of, of you know, voting in November. Is it possible? Is it physically possible to just have a single day? Well, I mean, again, I'm not dogmatic about that in the sense that if you were to tell me that administratively it's difficult to do on one day and it has to be done over two days or three days, I would say fine. My my point about the election day is a a, a tight, concentrated period where within reason everybody can vote. It's also really important to clean up the voter rolls. Our voter rolls are swollen. They're bad. They're full of people who shouldn't be voting. Why don't they get cleaned up? I, I hear this so often. This, this, these voter rolls are, are bloated, as you say. They, they include people who are dead. Why does this happen? Why don't they get cleaned up? Is it, I don't get it. It's, it's completely by design. And what I mean by this is not some conspiracy. What I mean is that in any state, if you go in and simply say, I want to, to clean up the voter rolls, you will be hit left and right with lawsuits coming from the left and the Democratic Party, and they will accuse you of voter suppression. Now, you will legitimately say there are lots of people on these rolls who have died. There are lots of them who have moved. There are lots of lots of them who are ineligible to vote for some 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 reason. Ineligible voters, uh, by which I mean people who are not mentally competent or illegals, have ended up on the voter rolls. They need to be cleaned out. But there will be a bitter and desperate attempt to prevent you from doing that. We've seen this again and again, notably in Georgia. So what happens is that one of the two parties benefits from the system that exists now and will fight relentlessly to prevent the cleanup. So if it was people of goodwill trying to solve this problem, it would completely be solved. Think about it. The, vo- the roles in every other area are cleaned up, right? You move from one set place to another. The tax rolls, they'll know right away. The DMV knows right away. Everybody, all the government agencies 
no right away except one, and that is the people who send out the ballots. It, are, are we really, are you prepared to stand by the statement that it's only Democrats that have an argument with this? Are you saying that if there was Republican rule in a state, these voter rolls could be cleaned up? Yes, I am saying that. Now, I'm not saying that the, the, the either party is like has a monopoly on voter fraud because there have been voter fraud cases that are yes. involved Republicans and Democrats. So I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about the institutional opposition to cleaning up the voter rolls or, or take the institutional opposition to voter ID. You'll never find a Republican legislature go voter ID is horrible. Nobody can be, we don't want voters to have to produce ID. The attacks come from the left and from the Democratic Party, and they're all in the same rationale, which is to say it's somehow a form of voter suppression. And the way I think about that is initially I go, you know what, historically you have a point. Some of these rules were manipulated to suppress the black vote. Now, by the way, this was done by Democrats for the most part in the South. But, um, But the way to test whether voter ID is suppressing the vote is just to ask this. Is ID in other contexts a form of suppression? Uh, is it travel suppression if an airline demands an ID? Is it banking suppression if you have to show an ID when you go to the bank to cash right. a check? Right. Is it medical suppression if you have to show an ID when you go to the doctor? And if the answer is no, then it's not voter suppression when you have to show an ID when you go up to vote. This is something I agree with 100 percent. I I don't I, I travel so much. You have to have an ID unless you're a minor, and then the minor has to identify the parent, whatever. Everybody has to show ID. And I have not heard anything from the travel industry (laughs) complaining about this notion. Everybody has to show an ID. If you want to go buy a drink, you've got to show your ID. It's You get pulled over by the cop, you've got to show an ID. So this argument against ID is so flimsy to me and i don't know how people ever even buy into it and to suggest that any class of person is incapable of getting an id is fairly offensive and i would be insulted if i were one of those people being accused of not being able to find a way to get an id we it's just this is modern america it can happen what you also mentioned early in the outset dinesh there are things that can be done locally, federally, et cetera, to clean things up. And then you said what what individual voters can do. Is is there is there a message you'd like to finish with to each and every individual voter? Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, there are sort of three ideas that jump to mind. One thing that individual voters who are right of center need to do is to put a little bit of pressure on the Republican Party because the Republican Party has been inattentive to this issue. They, uh, I say a line in the movie that, that that Republicans focus on the campaign and Democrats focus on the election. By that, I mean Republicans focus on, let's have a rally, but Democrats focus on things like, where are these drop boxes going to be located? Who's going to open the envelopes? And, and if there's an ambiguous vote with a check mark over here or a smudge over there, where this, how this vote is cast or if it's cast at all, what if there's no matching address or the signature doesn't match? Who's going to decide if the signature is okay? So Democrats do this with excruciating attention. Republicans need to pay more attention. So my, my advice to people is if you have time, if you're able to do this as a civic duty, volunteer to be part of the process, be a poll watcher, be a poll judge, be a poll observer, a volunteer. They need that and more eyes on the process is a good thing. 
I think the movie by itself and now the book has helped raise awareness, uh, particularly about the vulnerability of the drop boxes. That's bound to be a good thing. I know in Arizona, some patriots are like, they have tailgate parties and like watch the drop boxes, which is kind of funny. Now, as long as you do not interfere with voters, which you should never do, uh, it's okay. It's it's legal. You're allowed to do that. Uh, in fact, again, some Democrats, some left-wing organizations went to a judge and said, oh, they're suppressed. They're scaring away voters just by being there. And the judge goes, no, they have a constitutional right to be there. So observing, again, I prefer that there be 24-hour electronic surveillance. Then you right. don't need people to show up. Right. But in many cases, that is not done. And by the way, that's a violation of the election rules because it says in the CISA rules, CISA being the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, that drop boxes need 24-7 surveillance. It's not that tough anymore to to put a camera, security camera above a drop box. I mean, it's just not that tough. We see them everywhere we go. So um, it, it's it's really interesting. Final question for you, Dinesh. Do you believe that the 2020 election was stolen from President Trump? Absolutely. I, I That was not my starting premise. And I was sort of pulled into it uh, when I did the, the, the sort of election math. And all I did was count the measurable fraud and subtract it, not just subtract it in general, but subtract it in each individual state. And um, but look, I'm also a practical person. I recognize that there is a relatively narrow window in which you can sort of make a fuss about all this and take it to court. It's almost it's a it's a case with election fraud where you sort of have to bust them doing it because uh, really the elections in November, the electoral uh, count is done in December. The new president is sworn in in January. So there's your statute of limitations in a sense. It's difficult afterward to go back. But I still think it's important to know the truth. So I, I look at the book and the movie as being, it's almost like some guy's accused of rape, but you know what? The statute of limitations has passed. But so what? If there's new DNA evidence that shows he did it, we'd still like to know. The truth is important. So that, so this is a truth-telling enterprise, which is really all that a book and a movie can do. People will say to me, well, Dinesh, why haven't you taken your information to the Supreme Court? Well, they're not going to review a movie and go, okay, let's get Biden out of there. That's not how it works at all. But the first step is kind of looking and debating and discussing and acknowledging what happened. I want to move on, but I don't think we can move on without some kind of reckoning about what happened in the 2020 election. Well, I don't disagree with that. It's just interesting to me that there are so many voices, sane, you know, voices who would seem to have a a good motivation for trying to prove that this election was stolen and no court, no case that was brought forward was listened to or, or viewed before, you know, January 6th, that, that infamous day. So what do you say to all those naysayers? They say, look, people did try. People did try to make a case that this was, uh, you know, a stolen election, but no one could do it. Well, this is a little bit like saying that you tried to make, you know, you tried to convict the guy of murder, you know, three days after he did it. You don't have the evidence. And I agree. If you ask me if I was on the Supreme Court and you showed me what they had in November of 2020 or December of 2020, it was insufficient. I mean, uh, even if uh, Sidney Powell says, I've got 100 affidavits in my pocket. Well, that doesn't prove anything. Who are those people? How do we know they're telling the truth? So in other words, you need, there is a high standard, a heavy burden that you have to meet. 
And um, but what I think now is that it's really interesting that on the left, no one takes me up on a dare. Here's my dare. I've got the cell phone IDs of 2000 mules. Right. Any law enforcement officer can go to a judge and based on the movie alone, show probable cause and get a warrant, which would allow them to unmask the mules and get their names. Go interview them. Maybe the mules will say, well, listen, I've got 17 brothers and sisters. I had to go to 10 drop boxes. I, I, or, you know, I like to walk by these drop boxes. I smoke a cigarette every time I get to a drop box. You're wrongly counting me as a mule. In other words, I'm willing to put my scientific sort of hypothesis such as it is to the test where it, it can be empirically disproven. But the left is too scared to take me up on it. They don't want law enforcement to look at it. They don't want to interview the mules. They don't want to put their side of the thesis up, up, up for refutation. It is a fascinating topic. 2000 Mules is the film and now the book that complements the film. Dinesh D'Souza, just a prolific writer and a prolific pursuer of the truth. And it's, it's really an interesting topic and certainly one that 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 divides a lot of people, but you raise some amazing, provocative ideas that certainly have us thinking. And I th I think again, some of your ideas for how we move forward on this are are spot on. Dinesh, I really appreciate your time. All the best with the book and a continued success to you. Thank you very much. He is Dinesh D'Souza. This has been Sideline Sanity. Be brave. Maybe think about calling your elected officials and putting a little pressure on how things get moving in the future and do good. Make sure you vote on November 8th. Thanks for listening, everyone. Happy to talk once again with Charles Thorngren, the CEO of Legacy Precious Metals. You know, I think it still is confusing to people, uh, some people, uh, as to why a precious metals investment would be a worthwhile one, particularly at this time when they're thinking, I'm doing all I can to put gas in the car. Why is now a particularly good time? And we'll go from there to how small of an investment is worthwhile for someone? You know, great question. And I think the, the importance of why really comes into the fact that we have to save for ourselves, whether it's a little here, a little there whether it's making it a plan and putting out so much a paycheck, whether it's making sure we fund our retirement account, we have to realize we are responsible for ourselves in the long run. <laughs> you mean that no one else is going to ride up and save us, you know, on some white steed? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. You know, that, and anyone who's promising to do that is getting ready to take advantage of you in some form or fashion. Yeah. And so, so if, if I'm an investor, a potential investor, and I'm looking at legacy precious metals and I'm saying to myself, yeah, I, I, this sounds smart. I don't have a lot to spend. What would you tell that person? I would say, do what you can. If you never start, you never get there. So the most important step you can take is saying, I'm going to take care of myself and my family. I'm going to make it a plan. I'm going to take action. I'm going to start in the way that's comfortable for me. That's the important thing. The first step is always the hardest, but once you take that first step, the second step is easier and then you're moving. And then once you're in motion, it's hard to stop you. So that first step, most important step. I always tell people they can call 
and talk to an IRA expert or, or check out the, the guide that they can download for free, the investor's guide, what, what is the number one question that you get from people who are first-time investors? The biggest question I get, is this right for me? That is the question. And that comes from everyone. So, so everyone's asking the same, is this right for me? And yet we're all so unique. And, and yet it, it is a sound investment for just about any portfolio, isn't it? It is. We, even though we're all unique, that uniqueness is going to tailor the way we begin the investment. Okay. But we're all in the same situation. That's the one thing I think we seem to forget in today's society. Whether you agree with somebody or not, we're in this together. America is in this transition that we're in right now. We're dealing with the same issues. Some people like them, some don't, but we're all in it together, right? So the need is the same. How we prepare and how we invest is what changes from person to person, but we all have that same need. It's a great point. And again, I encourage people to 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 just make the call, pick up the phone. That step is always the hardest. I'm not sure why that is. In any kind of effort that you make in life, whether it's weight loss or exercise or investing some way to better your life, it always seems like that first hurdle is is the challenge. Uh, but when they call, who who are they going to talk to? Who what what's going to be on the other end of the line for them? Great question. You're going to speak with one of our customer representatives. And their job is not to sell you metals, right? We have a much different approach. We're going to answer all your questions. We're going to show you what options you have. And on the rare occasion, this isn't right for you. We're going to say this probably isn't right for you. Um, we have a gold company here, but you know, I, I say it all the time. What we actually deal in is customer service. We want each and every individual that calls to get the answers they need to be able to make the decision that's right for them. And we want to do that in a way that's not pushy, that's not salesy. And that's what makes my team so special. We care about each and every caller. And we're going to show you what options you have. And then you get to make an informed decision. So don't be afraid of the phone call. It's the best thing you can do. And this is why I am so honored and I feel privileged to be sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. They're the ones that I'm going to deal with. And I encourage you to pick up the phone, give them a call, even easier. Go check out their their guide. It's a free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. But as you said, Charles, pick up the phone. You're going to talk to someone who can answer your specific questions and get get the ball rolling, get, get started, do something that is a long-term play for your family's benefit. Charles, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always great to be here. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.